Good morning. A couple of weeks ago, I went through and went back and tried to listen. I couldn't watch because we didn't live stream at the time. But I went back and tried to listen to uh, the sermon I tried out with and the first sermon I preached here, uh, thinking about uh, the few weeks that, lie, that were in front of us. And I thought about the idea, of course, of the first sermon that I tried out with, and we preached that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but I began both of those lessons and uh, with two words that I feel are very appropriate in this moment. And at that time and at this time, we just simply want to say thank you. Uh, this is our time of worship, and of course it's not about me, it's not about my family in a sense, but please allow me one more time, as uh, most of you are gathered here, we're together this morning to say thank you uh, to all of you for so many things. You know, for a long time, one of our favorite things here at the Saudi congregation has been the prayers of the men here at Saudi as they have stood up and led us in prayer. So many good men who pray from the heart, and the prayers are always heartfelt and moving, uh, just full stop when we think about that, but also the kind words about our family have always been very much appreciated. I do have to push back on Robert just a little bit because um, I won't go out telling tales and naming names, but there are maybe a few who have been known to sleep every once in a while through part of a lesson. Uh, now, I think everybody got a bit of a pass when the elders decided to have the 1.30 service and to, uh, to have afternoon service after lunch. Then everybody got a bit of a pass in the afternoon. Uh, but uh, I'm kidding about that. But, uh, you know, we are, appreciate so much those who have always said uh, kind things about us and especially the prayers. Uh, I think I'm going to go out with a bang here, Heath. I don't think this thing's going to work this morning. So you can advance form, uh, forward for me there. That'll be all right. Uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> you can go back one, as I mentioned, um, the prayers here have always been a lot to us, and our lesson this morning is not just three words to live by, uh, but they're three words from Gary Grove to live by, uh, and maybe the Holy Spirit as well, just a little bit, we'll get to that part. I don't know if many of you have noticed this before, because he doesn't do it every single time, but often Gary would, near the end of his prayer, even as this was in the case when he was doing announcements, uh, and as I mentioned, I was kind of going back through different lessons, and I had to go through quite a few services to try to find Gary praying and saying these things, because he doesn't always say it, but uh, if you're ever looking for a moment of, of uh, levity or a smile, uh, go back through some of those services once we started live streaming, because the one, I don't know if it was this photo or not that I took uh, from the live stream, but in one of the lessons or one of the services where he said that during the announcements uh, was 2021, and the walls were still brown. Uh, up here and of course several folks had on masks at that time as we were still sort of dealing with the effects of the pandemic and I was standing about where Miss Bobby's sitting right there and I was talking to Buford Brown uh, because they were still able to attend at that time so there's some good memories as you go through those things but Gary doesn't do it every single time but near the end of his prayer he would recite three things and my wife has been on me for a while now to turn that into a perfect three-point sermon so here we go number one keep us active you know, it's an oxymoron to use two terms together that contradict, right? And it should be a contradiction to say that a person is an inactive Christian. However, this, that is how many people attempt to live their lives. I hate to harp on the doctrine of faith only. If you were in our Bible class on Wednesday night here over John, we talked about that. 
But how can anyone, how can anyone teach that all a person has to do is believe when James, in James chapter 2 and verse 17, when James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, says that faith without works is dead. He says, don't tell me that you have faith. Show me that you have faith. Be active. Some of the final words of Jesus are recorded in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We call it the Great Commission. But his instructions to those who would follow after him are full of action. As he is about to ascend into heaven, he doesn't say, wait and see. He doesn't say, well, just let people come to you. He doesn't say, don't overdo it. But he says, go, make, and teach. Go, and as you are going, make disciples. And as you are making those disciples, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. All he's saying is to be active, not to be passive, but to reach out and to go forth. In Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount concludes with the powerful illustration of the wise and foolish builders, the rain and the sand, and the rain and the rock. But that is the illustration of truth that's laid forth in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. See, Jesus, as most good preachers do, are going to use, is going to use an illustration, but he's going to use the illustration to back up what he's already said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not he who sits on the sidelines, not he who watches, but he who is doing he who is active. The truth is, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity is not a spectator sport. If you'll go forward one, Heath. We said it a moment ago, but if we are being honest, you cannot be an inactive Christian. If you are inactive, then you are not a true Christ follower. We live in a world, or maybe we live even in a country, that is blessed beyond measure. Appreciate Chase's prayer just a moment ago and saying that so eloquently. Those blessings are great and we should be thankful. However, it's also true that sometimes those blessings also blind us. We get comfortable. Our comfort leads us to inaction. That we're okay to do the bare minimum and let that be considered enough. The question this morning for each one of us, whether you are a member at Saudi, whether you are a visitor, Whatever your state in life may be, if you are striving to be a Christian, the question is, how can you be more active? What activities can you be involved in? Do you need to be more faithful in attendance to all services? Do you need to be more faithful in attendance to our Bible classes, care team meetings, men's and women's Bible study, devotionals? If the congregation isn't doing something, how can you go about doing something? It shouldn't be in a, in a disrespectful way to the elders, but you can take steps to be active in your life. You can certainly ask them for permission or give some ideas and talk about doing things, and you can certainly do things on your own. You know, I've heard it said before, and I have it written here in the front of this very Bible that I usually preach from, that our prayer should be that we are worn out in the service of our Lord. We are worn out in the service of our Lord. Is that our prayer? 
We pray so often asking God for things, but sometimes it's, it's the more money that we need to, to live and to survive and to pay our bills. It's often the, the prayers asking for God to help someone who is sick, and, and all those things are okay to pray for as we struggle and go through this life. But is our request, help me to be more active, help me to be worn out in the service of the Lord? Or is your prayer sometimes, Lord, keep me more comfortable? Lord, bless those other people who are doing your work. Brethren, you can go as far as Australia to preach the gospel. Or you can go as far as Dayton Pike. You can commit to five years in a mission field. Or you can start with simple steps in your own workplace or school or neighborhood. Our prayer should be that God would always keep us active. Number two. Help keep us alert. As Christians, we need to also be on alert. By my count, trying to do a rough count, almost 60 times the Holy Spirit uses a few different Greek words to tell us to be on the idea of alert. The word is used or translated watch. Sometimes it's used or translated as guard. Sometimes it's used or translated as keep. But whether this verse says to watch, to keep, or to guard, the emphasis is on being alert. We won't take time to dive through each passage, but 1 Peter 5, 8, you know that one well, and we'll come back to it in just a moment. Be sober, be vigilant. Watch is the idea. Don't, don't take a nap in the corner, don't sit back and let somebody else do the work, but you watch, you be sober, be vigilant. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Paul says, therefore let us watch and be sober. Sometimes that word is is used in in other contexts, but if it's at least 60 times, and obviously we're not going to mention all of those, we are encouraged to be watching. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, watch, Paul says again, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. He's trying to encourage those brethren in the first century, that they have to be on guard, that they have to keep watch. If they need to keep watch, what do you think we need to be doing today? I know we say that, of course, sin goes back as as far as the garden. We know that, that even other sins that maybe seem more prominent in our society today, things like homosexuality seem to be in our face more, but they've always been around. But yes, it's always there, ready to slip in and cause us to slip up and to sin. So watch. Even Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 verses 1 through 13 used a parable to get the point across that the child of God needs to be alert. Do you remember in that parable there were five wise virgins and five foolish virgins? The five foolish virgins were not ready. They were not prepared. It can be stressful to stay on high alert. I'll grant you that. Some of you may recall times of war in this country. Back before when wars were different, maybe, and world wars and things, other wars going on that you felt like you need to be on alert, even in our country. Some of you remember maybe the October 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis in this country, and other occasions where those in charge are saying you need to be watching, you need to be alert. We don't know exactly what will take place. It can be hard to stay on alert, and we get tired when we let our guard down. And yet, in the history of Christ followers, the pages of records is full of so many men and women, great men and great women who were doing such good things, but in a moment, 
of not being alert and of not being ready, they succumb to the sinful nature of this world. What are some things that we need to be alert for? Let's mention a few real quick. Number one, our adversary. Our adversary, the devil. We already mentioned 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, I, I kind of take a little bit of, of thought with this because the devil is like a roaring lion, right? He is seeking about, prowling about as the king of the jungle in that, that sense, if you will. But I also would suggest that we could probably use some other animal-like examples, right? Of an animal that's hiding, that's waiting in the wings for something to happen. I was doing some, you know, studying and thinking about illustrations. And an illustration was told about a lion who was past his prime and could not go out and seek after his prey. He was waiting in a cave. And so he decided to just keep waiting until things would come to him. And I think in this sort of story, if you will, that illustration that a fox finally came to, to the mouth of the cave and the lion and invited him in and he said, there's too many bones around the mouth of this cave. I think I'm just going to wait. Being on alert because yes, a lion sometimes is stalking and going about and roaring and other times we need to be on alert for our adversary. He was there in Genesis chapter 3, Right? In a beautiful and perfect place, he was there. In Job chapter 1, with a man who had it all, who had a great life, he was there. And he is here now. Maybe not in this moment as we are united together, strong, worshiping God, but you better believe he's not far away. Stay alert. Number two, we need to be on watch for false teachers. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, Paul would write to Timothy, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. We say this a lot to preachers, but listen to what else is there. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Paul's warning is that there will be false teachers to Timothy. Again, false teachers are not new, but they are still here today, and we need to be alert. 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4 in verses 1 through 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's easy to, to read that and to think that false teachers are always going out. They're always going and doing things. But the point is, for the church, false teachers are trying to get in to teach false doctrine. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31, you know it well because this is the place where we turn to to think about Paul's great words about the church, right? Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed to yourselves, to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We read that, do we talk about the church and we talk about Jesus' blood, and that's true. But back up, as we ask you to usually do, and get the context. Paul is meeting with a group of elders, a group of elders whom he loves dearly. Do you remember in verse 37 that there is kissing? 
They are falling on each other and crying and weeping and kissing because of the love that they share. And in those final moments of love, in fact, they're sending Paul away. And he said, I need to see you because I won't see you again. I heard someone the other day and talking about something kind of different, but, but use this passage to mention, do you think they watched Paul's ship setting sail out over the water knowing we'll never see him again? And yet he says there in this context that, yes, Jesus purchased the church with his blood, but in context of the verses even around that, he's saying to them, watch, be on alert. You go past verse 28, and he says that there will be those who will come who are savage Wolves In verse 31, not from Jesus, but again from Paul, therefore watch, watch for false teachers. Paul's loving reminder to them in their last moments together is to be alert. Do not let your guard down. We need to be watching for the devil, our adversary. We need to be watching for false teachers. But number three, we need to be watching for the lost. See, this is not the, the sort of angry or getting upset thinking about false teaching and the devil's work that we are saying but with our kindness and our love we need to be thinking about the lost and we need to be alert when we're looking for them i don't have to remind you that every day you go to work school the grocery store the park the gym the ball field everywhere you go you meet lost people in fact what i feel about it is it's almost overwhelming to consider, is it not? I don't want to be negative about it, and I don't want us to feel like we can't do good work, but it's almost overwhelming to think about the number of people that we can pass as we leave this building who are lost people. But instead of being afraid, be alert. Be looking out. I've shared this before, but I heard a minister say once that we do not need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. We do not need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. We need to pray for the courage to take advantage of the opportunities to share the gospel. I just shared with you that you've got opportunities. You can't leave and walk away and say that you don't have an opportunity. We need to pray for the courage to take advantage of the countless opportunities that are always in front of us. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, at the end of the interaction with Zacchaeus, Jesus gives his purpose while he was here on this earth to seek and to say that which was lost. That's what the Son of Man came to do. Are we alert for those who are lost? For those that we can teach about the great God that we serve and His only begotten Son? Let us not be found asleep on the job. Let us always be alert for our adversary, for those trying to mislead us with false ideas, and for those who are lost in need of a Savior. The third thing that Gary would always say in his prayers is, Keep us committed. Now, he said keep us committed to your word, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Friends, is the word of God a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path? Psalm 119, verse 105. Is the word where you turn to for guidance? Is it always in your heart, always on your mind, always on the tip of your tongue? Or is it the thing that you set aside from Monday to maybe Wednesday night and then Thursday until Sunday morning? Is it the thing that you leave on the pew until you come back again? 
Now, I know some people have multiple Bibles. Maybe you leave one here, and that's not wrong. You have plenty at home that you can study there. But for too many people, it's sort of a, a theme. It's sort of a picture of the way they live their life because they say, well, I'll just leave it there, and I'll get to it when I come back to that particular place. Too many people think that it's something that they need to leave behind, not to interfere with their daily walks of life. May our prayer be that God will keep us committed and not, number one, distracted. Not distracted. If we're being honest, we know how many distractions are out there. There are so many things to do. There are so many things that are vying for our attention. So many distractions from, that keep us from doing things that need to be done. Remember the encouragement from the Hebrew writer about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. That by faith, Moses refused to be called the, sons of the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to, watch it, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He said, I'm going to suffer with God's people because the other choice looks really good. It's enticing. There's pleasure sometimes in sin, but I'm going to pass on that and I'll suffer affliction. You know, it's a little simplistic, but he decided, he purposed. That's what Moses did. He, he made a decision in his heart. It's the same thing that Daniel would do so many years later. He decided not to be distracted with the glitz and the glamour of the world, but to keep his nose to the grindstone, as we say, to keep his eyes on the prize, to stay focused and committed in service to God. Both of those and many others throughout God's word are examples of not getting distracted with all the things around us. We've got to work. It's not bad for our kids to be involved in social activities or sports or those kinds of things. But are we distracted by all those things so much that we forget the work of God? Number two, let us not also be apathetic. Sadly, one of the big issues in our country, especially, is that people just don't care. They're apathetic. That might be how we start to feel sometimes about so-called church stuff, right? Somebody else will do it. It's there. I'm glad that others are doing it, but I just don't have the time to care about that stuff. Apathy sets in, and it can kill a congregation. You know, a committed teammate on a sports team realizes that they must put in work. They're a part of the team, even if they aren't the star. The same thing goes true through multiple teams. Think about your work team if you have one of those. You may not be the leader, but you can play a part. You have to put in the work. An apathetic teammate says, well, I can't do anything. I'm not helpful. I'll just sit over here. I'll, I'll mind my own business. What kind of Christian are you? Are you committed or are you apathetic? We should not be distracted. We should not be apathetic, but we should be fruitful. We should be fruitful. Help us not be distracted or apathetic, but fruitful in our work. Paul's encouragement near the end of the first epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Always abounding, be fruitful. We need to be showing fruit. In fact, we talked about this Wednesday night, again, in our class, that we cannot see the inter internal change that takes place in a person when they participate in the new birth. 
We talked about John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. When you're born again, there's a lot of internal things that you can't see. We're going to mention one in just a moment. But When the Lord adds you to the church, you can't see that. When a person repents, in a way we can't see that. But we can see the fruit of their actions. And we need to pray that we would be found fruitful. You better believe that we should see when a person is born again an external change. Not an internal change, maybe, things that we can't see, but we can see things where they change their life. We should see that a person is now fruitful in service to God. We can't see forgiveness. We can't see God forgiving us. But we can see a person who says, I'm forgiven and now I'm going to live for him. I'm going to be committed and I'm going to be fruitful. But then again, back to what Gary says in his prayer, specifically, keep us committed to the word. Committed in general, but committed specifically to the word. Do you believe what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3? Excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse number 3, when he says that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you believe that? Do you live that out? Are you committed to the Word of God? I hope that you can recall a, a few years ago when we went through trying to encourage each other to read the Bible through in a year. and We had the, the banner that everyone would sign and sign their names. You know, that was something that we could do externally. That was something that could be done in a, a large way to try to encourage people. But back to what we said just a few moments ago, it should not be the only thing that happens or the only time you crack open your Bible. If that little thing helped you to read the Bible through that year or to be better at reading the Bible, I'm thankful for that. But if you said, well, the year's up, I've done my reading, I'm done again, then that's not what we're after. We must stay committed to the Word. Not just committed but also committing it to others. It's real easy to remember, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, 2, 2, 2. Paul says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit. There's our word. Commit these. You have heard it from me. You commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, right? We've got multi-steps of people who are committed to the word, who are also encouraged to commit that to other people. May the word of God be first in our lives, in all things. May we stay committed to his word. I've mentioned that I've used some of these backgrounds before, and this was one when I typed in the word committed. And the next slide is the theme slide that went along with that. We're not looking specifically at Luke 10, 27, if you can kind of even make it out there. It's real thin. But the theme of this particular set of PowerPoint slides was all in. That's kind of the idea the prayer that Gary has prayed countless times is, are you all in? He would say, Father, we pray that you will keep us active and alert and committed to your word. Three words, three ideas maybe to live by. They're encouraging to those who are living in service to the creator of the world, the father of heaven and earth, Jehovah God. But the question this morning as we begin to conclude this lesson is, if you are here this morning, you have not shown your commitment to him by submitting to his simple plan of salvation, why not take that step this morning? Fully commit to serving God by being obedient to his instructions on how to be saved. We've said it many times before, and it will always be true of humans here on this earth and in this life, but many people can come and warm a seat. Many people can come and fill the pew. 
We could have so much room that we got to put chairs out in the aisle because there's so many people here today. But if people come and they sit and they listen and they leave and they're never changed by the word of God, then no one's really committed. If you're here this morning and you've never committed the first time by becoming a child of God, the song that's been selected in just a moment is meant to encourage you. There are instructions in God's word on how to be saved. And they're on the screen here as we usually put them up. But you can find them. You can share them with others. But specifically this morning, we sing a song of encouragement at the end of the lesson to encourage you that if you need to make a change in this way, that you would fully commit to serving God. But maybe you're here, brother or sister, as a child of God, and you have fallen away. You know, God has given us what we sometimes call his second law of pardon. God's law of pardon is not one strike and you're out. You're baptized, and the first time you mess up, sorry, it's, it's no good anymore, you're done. It's also not that you have to be baptized over and over again, right? I mean, we could have a line going constantly every Sunday and Wednesday. Let's just, we're baptizing people over and over again because we're going to mess up. And of course, God's law of pardon is not that you can keep on sinning. Paul uses the strong phrase, God forbid, certainly not, may it not be so. John says in 1 John chapter 1 that we are to strive to walk in the light. If you're here this morning as a Christian and you've not been doing that, God's second law of pardon is that you can repent of your sins. You can confess them before him and he is faithful and just to forgive. Why continue on uncommitted? Can I suggest to you that it's, it's kind of easy, right? It doesn't require a lot of work. You can kind of do whatever you want to do in this life. In some ways it seems easier. But can I also challenge you to understand this morning that the blessings of being committed, being a child of God, are beyond measure. They're seen in this room this very day. They're seen every time, seen every time this congregation gathers together, as Christians do, to encourage one another, to love one another. And you can be a part of that. You can be a part of one of the great, greatest institutions ever established, and that is the church, that you can encourage one another. But we don't vote. It's not decided on by a committee in any form or fashion, but it's the work of God that is done in his son, Jesus Christ. If you would like to become a Christian or return again unto God, we invite you to come forward as we stand together and as we sing.